Let's go to God in prayer tonight. Lord, thank you for your spirit that hovers in this place continually. God, I thank you that we have the ability to meet together. I thank you that we have the privilege to meet together. God, I thank you for these people who have gathered here tonight, who are hungry for your word, hungry to know more about you through the power of your word. Cover our instruction, cover our learning, cover our speech tonight with your power, with your anointing, with your spirit. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 I have asked um, Anita Sargent, who is one of our students up here in our platform classroom, to just give us a very quick two-minute um, summary of something that she has been doing for quite some time that a lot of you may be interested in. So Sister Sergeant will just come and you will have my mic right here. You can just sit that on top of that. Stay. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord, everyone. This is the most precious thing that I know about and I love it dearly. And uh, we have a slide up here, I think that we're, oh, is it there? Yep. And uh, you may want to take a picture of it so you can refer back to it later. But Global Bread Breakers is a group of people who call into a phone line to read the Bible together. Some designated hours we take time for worship and prayer requests. But most of them are just Bible reading, straight Bible reading. And um, people call in from all over the United States, and we've even had a few foreign calls. In August of 2020, we celebrated four years of continuous operation. Many lives have been touched and changed and blessed. And um, it's a wonderful thing to find consistency in Bible reading. This is a good way to do it. You do it in community. It's something. When the Word of God is read aloud in community, it's amazing what happens. Minds are enlightened. Lives are changed. Emotions are soothed. And bodies are healed. His word went out and healed him. Jesus went to the temple to read. Many places in scripture cite incidences where people gathered to read. Paul admonished Timothy, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Jesus is coming soon. Our goal at Global Bread Breakers is this. We read the Bible and we believe God for miracles. That's it. We don't offer Bible studies or counseling or anything like that. Our hours are filled with reading the Bible from the King James Version and believing God for miracles. Our phone number and the hours of operation are on the screen. And we do have a Facebook page as well under Global Bread Breakers. And uh, we have 11 moderators. I moderate in the morning, every morning, except Sunday, from 7 to 8. So I'd love it if you would come and join me. Everybody is welcome. God bless you all. Love you. Thank you so much. That's amazing, isn't it? Every day, every single day, Global Bread Breakers. I think that's awesome. Thank you so much, Anita Sargent. Um, so I have so much. We have so much to cover tonight. Uh, so I'm going to kind of be pushing us along, okay? So, But I, I, have, I have the time down. I know what time it is, and I know how much time we have. So what I need to do right now is I need some feedback from last week. Okay, I know we moved fast last week, but you had homework last week, right? So you had to read the book of Jude every day, and then you had to write down every question that you could think of out of the book of Jude, and you had to do it day after day. So however many questions you came up with on Friday, you had to come up with more on Saturday, hopefully. 
But now I'm not going to grade this. This isn't a grade. This is just for you to understand that the way to deeper Bible study is through asking questions. But this is also going to be a thread that ties through all these 21 days and all four lessons of this. And, and if you've, if you have cheated and gone ahead in your books, you've seen that that is going to be happening in lesson four, especially. So what are some questions you came up with? And I'm not going to call on you. You can volunteer. I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. So get your mics there. Turn them on on your table. Just flip the little switch up so we can be sure to get this. Mm -hmm. Jim? Um, in verse number three, um, my question um, is, what is the common salvation? Right. What is the common salvation? Very good. I'm not going to answer that. Because I'm not going to answer any of them. Because I'm going to give you ways to answer it yourself this week and next week. And then we're going to come back and study those answers on the fourth lesson. Okay, but that is a very good question. What is the common salvation? So anybody, Brother Foster, you look like you may have had a question or two. Well, just in verse 1, was it, what is it to be sanctified? What does sanctified mean? Right, okay, very good. Very good. Anybody else? Anybody else? Uh-huh. Okay, I had verse 23. Mm -hmm. How do I save someone with fear? Okay, how do you save someone with fear? Okay, very, that's a very good question as well. Very good. These are good questions. You guys are thinking deeper. Anita? In verse 2, it says, or 3, it says, earnestly contend for the faith. What does that include? Okay. Earnestly contend for the Earnestly faith. contend. Great question. I love it. We're going to really talk about that one. Uh -huh. Verse 2. Does this book exclude those that are not sanctified by God the Father? All right. All right. There you go. Very good. How many of you got five questions or less? How many of you got between 5 and 20 questions? How many of you listed between 5 and 20? Okay, anybody over 20? Mm -hmm. And how many did you have? 18. 18, okay. All right, so he had 18. So between 5 and 20. Anybody over 20? Okay. All right. How many of you had 5? Five, and he had an 18. So you see the wide range here. So there's no right answer. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just all about your discovery and your understanding of how to ask those questions. Okay, I'm not answering them, but we're going to talk about how to answer them in this lesson today. All right, uh, you can turn your mics off there, and they won't be picking up um, any outside things. Now, if you have a question, please feel free this is the lesson you can do that in. Please feel free to stop me, uh, turn your mic on, ask the question, and if I'm going to address it later on, we'll address it later on, and I'll tell you that, but if not, we can stop and try to address it right then. Okay, number one, we are on page 42. I have a quote at the top of that page, but we're going to come back to that later on in the lesson. Number one, a student of the word must learn to ingest the word into his, his or her very soul not just his or her mind. Eating is ingesting. Eating is metabolizing. 
I love what somebody said. I believe it's an anonymous quote, and I may have referred to it last week. I can't remember where they said. Um, no, no, I wouldn't have referred to it because that's, that's another point we're going to get to in a minute. But I'm going to talk about it right now. Eating the word without ingesting it, which is actually involves a lot of meditation, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. Eating the word without ingesting it is like taking a bite of food and chewing it up and spitting it out. You think you, you, you would never get nourishment if you went to the table and sat there and put bites of food in your mouth and chewed it up and then spit it into a trash can, had another bite, spit it out. That's not ingesting food. Okay, so this metaphor is going to hold true throughout our entire discussion. It's going to inform our entire discussion. Hebrews, and four, Hebrews 4 and 12 is a verse that you need to memorize. It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. For the, the, the key word in that whole verse is quick, for the word of God is quick. And that does not mean the word of God is fast. That means the word of God is alive. And you will see in your books that the word quick is translated from the Greek word zeo, which means to live, to be among the living, to be alive, not be lifeless or dead. So what does it mean for the word to be alive? It means that it's alive. It's breathing what does something do when it's alive? When something is alive, it breathes. It, and I, I want to be careful of my words here because, because I'm trying to um, make a point. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. It molt, when something is alive, it adapts to its surroundings. Okay. What I mean by that is, Whenever I need the word inside me and I ingest it, then whatever I'm needing, it becomes that to me. That's what I'm trying to say. It's alive. It's not flattened out ink, black ink on a white piece of paper. It's living. Try to see it in your mind. Try to see those words coming up off of that page morphing into the air, coming into you through your ears, through your mouth, into your spirit, becoming one with your spirit and your soul and becoming life inside of you. How can it be alive? I'm fixing, oh dear me, stick to your notes, stick to your notes. Y'all pray for me because it's not working. That's not winning. It didn't win. It didn't win. I got to say it. I'll cut out something else somewhere else. Okay. When the word is alive, the word that said, let there be the logos that said, let there be this, let there be that. And it became life. Let there be a tree and a tree grew and let there be grass and the grass grew and let there be water and the water was, let there be a boundary about the seas. Okay. All of those words that were spoken that, and then those things happened. Okay, 
It was life that came through those words. Those words were life. Okay. If you will go, and I think I've said this maybe here before one time or something, but if you will go to TED Talks, there's a physicist on there named Brian Greene. You look up Brian Greene and you look up the string theory. You look it up. The string theory is a theory that is fast becoming very accepted by physicists. And what it does, it says that the smallest part of an atom is not a quark, as was previously thought. But inside the quarks, quarks, Q-U-A-R-K-S, I don't know how you would say that in Indiana. I probably say it with a Louisiana twang going on somewhere. But inside those quarks is something that resembles a string. And it's, the string is kind of bent. If you will Google this and look at the pictures, you're going to see it. Okay, so the string is kind of bent up like this. And what holds that quark together is the fact that that string rubs against itself and produces friction. So the quarks hold all of the the neurons and the protons and all the things that hold the atom together. And I am not a physicist. I am a right-brainer in English and music and history. So please, if you're watching tonight, please do not judge me. I am not a scientist nor a physicist. Anything I know, I learned from Brian Greene on that TED Talk. So I did hear this, though, that that's holding all that together. And they say that that string is holding every atom together And if that's the case, they're calling it the theory of everything. Because they say what that means is, is that vibrating string in there is holding the whole world together. Well, what does a vibrating string remind you of? What happens when you make, when you speak? Your vocal cords rub against each other and they produce friction and that produces sound. What if, I'm not saying, I'm not giving you a definitive here, but what if the word of God that said, let there be, put that string inside of every quark, inside of every atom, inside of everything that's holding everything together. And what if the word of God really is true, that by his word, all things consist and are held together, which it says in Psalms. What if that's really true? What if the Bible really is true? Wouldn't that be amazing? So if that were the case, if that were the case, then what has happened is is his word that has gone out is alive and his word does not die. So when you open your Bible, and if you have your Bibles there, open your Bibles and look at those words on those pages right there. Look at that. When you are, when you are needing a touch from God, Anita, what happens? You read and you say it and you pray it. And what happens is, is this word comes up off of this page and it wraps itself around you and it says, you are healed in Jesus name because it's alive. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? When you're so lonely and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to turn and you go to the Psalms and you say, but 
see, it's right here in the living word. David felt the same thing that I'm feeling. So what did he do? And you pray the same thing that David did. And then all of a sudden, those words that are on that page starts coming up, starts wrapping itself around you, and you get direction, and you get consolation, and you get love, and you get a hug from the word. It's alive. That was a a long rabbit trail. We got to go. That's what quick means. Just so you know. Long explanation. That's what quick means. The word is not cultural. So whatever the word says, it's going to be true in every culture. It's going to be true in every country and nation and continent of this world. We don't have to worry about what we're going to say to people when we go to another country. How are we going to teach them? How are we going to talk to them? It doesn't matter. Just preach the word, teach the word, be the word. It's not cultural. It transcends every single culture. The word is not a buffet. (laughs) You can't say, I'll have a little of this and I'll take a little of that. I don't believe I want any of this today. Thank you very much. Okay, no, no. Deuteronomy, yes, I'll take some of that. Leviticus is pretty boring. We're not going to go there today. I'm not going to have any of Leviticus. Um, Jeremiah is just too weepy for me. Why don't we, I I don't want him. Uh, mm -mm. The word is not a buffet. You either eat it all or you don't eat any of it. You can read it and you can choose what you read. But you can't choose to become one with just a part. You have to become one with all. If it is in the word, I am accountable. That is what happened when the veil was rent in two in the temple. It took away our excuses from being able to say, but they didn't teach me or I didn't know. No, the veil was rent in two when when Jesus Christ breathed his last and the veil was ripped in two. What that said was, is I can approach the throne. I can go into the Holy of Holies and I can touch the high priest. I then become accountable for what's in the word. I am accountable. If we eat the book, this is at the bottom of page 42, and I want you to really, really get this inside you. If we eat the book, we will shape our life experiences by what we know to be absolute instead of having our life experiences shape us. This book changes everything. And so often we say, well, this happened to them or that happened to them or this other happened to them. And so this is why they are. But whenever you eat this word, it shapes you and it becomes your life experience rather than your life experience shaping you. Does that make sense? Just as much as your life experiences have been alive and living This book is even more alive and living. Okay, we have to eat it in order for it to happen. Page 43, a student of the word, now here we go, here we go, must, must, circle that word must, just circle it big and big and not neatly, but must memorize and retain the word. Because if the only time you eat the word is when you have it right there in front of you, you are selling yourself short 
And that's not what the Bible told us to do in so many places. Psalm 119.11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. That means having it in here. That means knowing it. That doesn't mean studying it as for a test. That means having it become part of you. Um, I actually have a study on meditation that I have done, and I believe it's on our website, uh, kqministries.net, that teaches uh, what meditation actually is. I don't have time to go in that now. But meditation, every word in the Bible from which meditation is translated, is actually involves sound. And I believe that the more we meditate, which is say the word, the more we retain the word, which is memorize the word. Memorize is a bad word among us because it involves work. Retain is a good word. So let's use the word retain. Okay, then we then we we aren't resistant to it as much. All right. But Sister June, you asked me last week, I believe it was about what about prayer time and Bible time? And do you separate them and do you put them together? This is where I believe this comes in. Okay, I believe that we will retain it when it becomes part of our God connection. Terry and I like to call it God connection. We don't call it prayer time. We don't call it time in the word or devotion. We call it God connection. Because this is what we believe about that. Whenever I talk to God, that's prayer. When he talks to me, it's usually through this word. If he chooses to use rhema or a right now word, then great. But if I don't know this word, I don't know enough to know if it's right on or if it's me or if it's what. So what I do whenever I open my Bible every morning, that is a God connection time. I usually start in the Psalms because it is the emotions of the Bible. And that's where I, and then I'll go to the Proverbs after that, which is life instruction for that day. But I'll usually start in the Psalms. And as I read, I'll say it out loud and then I'll pray it. And then I'll ask God a question out loud if I don't understand it. And then I will tell him what I'm thinking and I'll tell him what I'm needing. I have got a, uh, and I didn't bring it with me tonight. I have a prayer book, uh, a, a journal that I keep beside me. And every question I have, I'll write it down and I wait till he answers it. And if he chooses not to answer it right then, I know he wants me to do some study and to answer it on my own. Because usually he will answer it through other scriptures. That's how God answers our questions most it normally, is through other scriptures. So, in answer to your question, I really don't know how we can get adequate the most effective effectiveness the most or adequate effectiveness out of our God connection if we try to do it separate if we try to just read or just pray the reason why I say this is because he desires relationship with us he, he established this in Genesis with Adam and Eve walking in the garden in the cool of the day that's the whole point was relationship he wants that from me So, if I have a relationship with my husband, 
And I get up in the morning and I just talk and talk and talk to him and tell him everything I need and then leave without him responding. And then I go through my day and then at night I come back and he tells me all the things I've done wrong and why this and why that and why the other. And I don't respond. That's not relationship. That's a mess. That's what that is. That's a bad marriage. Don't we do that to God sometimes? So we use his word as a tool instead of him. And and a lot of people say it's a love letter to us. Yes, I believe it's a love letter, but it's not like a love letter like I have in in that box in my closet of those letters I used to get from my husband before we were married. That's flat ink on paper. This is alive. It's more than a love letter. It's a right now I'm talking to you word. So that is what demands the relationship from us and the reciprocation from us. Does that make sense? Are there any questions before we move along there? Okay. Okay. I want to read really quick. No, I I, I really... I have... I, I won't take time to do it right now, but I have there in the middle of the page for you to take about two or three minutes for you to write down why you do not memorize the word. So we don't have to write it down, but let's just say, why don't you memorize the word? And usually what you'll get is, is too tired, too busy, can't do it, too old. Get that one a lot. Okay? And so I challenge then, after students have written that, and we don't have time to do that right now, but I challenge that them after they have written that to say, okay, if the Lord asked you why you didn't hide his word in your heart, would you be willing to say, I was too old? I was too busy, God. Lord, I was tired. No, you wouldn't want to give him those excuses. So you need to do this on your own time this week. Please don't overlook this. And then at the bottom, I want you to make, list three ways you are going to change that and make that a part of your life. I am going to take time right now, however, to read the, the, the part in yellow that's highlighted there because it's an amazing, amazing um, story. Uh, I do have a picture of Darlene Rose somewhere. She was a young American missionary who spent four years in a Japanese prison camp during World War II. And this is what she wrote. As a child and a young person, I had had a driving compulsion to memorize the written word. In the cell, I was grateful now for those days in vacation Bible school when I had memorized many single verses, complete chapters, and psalms, as well as whole books of the Bible. In the years that followed, I reviewed the scriptures often. The Lord fed me with the living bread that had been stored against the day when fresh supply was cut off by the loss of my Bible. He brought daily comfort and encouragement, yes, and joy to my heart through the knowledge of the word. I had never needed the scriptures more than in these months on death row. But since so much of his word was there in my heart, it was not the punishment that her prisoners had anticipated when they took my Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not promised tomorrow with our Bibles. There are many countries in this world where they are not allowed. I beg of you, hide it in your heart right now while you can. Hide it in your heart while you can. Number three, 
Next page. A student of the word can recognize false teachers and false doctrine only by knowing the word. That's the only way that you can do it is by knowing the word. God himself will send false teachers among us in order that we may know who is teaching right and who is teaching wrong. And I can prove that by 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. For there must also be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. The word heresies comes from a Greek word, heresis. And it means a choice. It means a body of men who have separated themselves from others and are following their own choices, their own opinions. That's what heresies there means in the Greek. So God himself will send these groups of people among us who will separate themselves and say, well, I believe it's this way. And we can easily get distracted and we can easily follow if we don't already know the word. And when we do know the word, what happens is, is the Holy Ghost within us, it connects with, with that living word that we know and it sends a signal to our spirit that says, this isn't right. And you may not even know why it's not right, but God will send you to the exact scriptures and you will figure out why it's not right. Okay? All right, I'm going to skip over the Matthew 4 because I'm going to talk about that here in just a few minutes. I think we're pretty much on time. Uh, I have to leave out, I think I've told you, these uh, lessons were designed for 90 minutes. And so I have to leave out a big portion of the lessons each time in order to get everything in. But I am hitting the high points. And if you want more of what I'm talking about or if you feel I didn't offer a good enough explanation, make sure you get the book because usually those explanations are in the book. We are going to move now into something that I believe totally informs the discussion that we just had. And it may seem a little bit uh, odd in this place, but I think you'll understand once I talk about it. And it's going to be types of translations and the translation issue, the translation discussion itself. There is a... uh, and I know Wikipedia is not a good source for, for research. Wikipedia is, is actually a terrible source for research because many people can go in there and change it and do all they want to do and put their own opinion down as fact. So I don't recommend Wikipedia for research. There is just a good article <laughs> that happens to be just really good on wiki.logos.com. And it's about Bible translation spectrum. And it just explains a little more in depth what I'm going to say right here. It says the exact same thing I'm going to say right here. Wiki.logos.com. And the name of the article is Bible translation spectrum. Okay. Before approaching the analysis of any version, one must be aware of the different types of translations available. Okay. Number one is literal translation. This adheres as closely as possible to a word-for-word translation from the original. KJV is a literal. NASB, ESV, those are literal. Number two, dynamic equivalence. 
That's a recent procedure in Bible translation that commonly results in paraphrasing where a more literal rendering is needed to reflect a specific and vital sense. What that means in a and just a shorter way to say it probably would be literal translation means word for word. Dynamic equivalence means thought for thought. Okay? So literal means word for word. Dynamic means thought for thought. Let me explain this for just a second. Both of those, our Bibles actually employ, even the ones who say they're literal and the ones who say that they are dynamic, actually employ both of a little bit of both of those methods. And the reason why I say this is because in a literal translation, if we're translating something from Hebrew to English, Hebrew words are concepts. They represent concepts. So a Hebrew word, there is no way we could just put the way the Hebrews write, which is concept, 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 without adding our articles, our conjunctions. So our articles and our conjunctions and all this kind of thing are added in there. It's not word for word translated, but it's necessary in order for us to be able to make sense of it language wise. Okay. I may be going a little elementary tonight. I may be going way down, but what I have found is, is many people know a lot of this, but there are a few gaps. And so what I do is just try to hit it all and start from the ground up and come up really quick and, uh, try to hit a lot of this basic information right here. All right. Number three, is a paraphrase. Now, a paraphrase conveys the main idea of the passage. And instead of rendering a literal word-for-word translation, paraphrases are the message, the voice, the living Bible. Those are some examples of paraphrases. I like to say that paraphrases are good commentaries. And that's it. Let me talk to you just for real one quick second about the message. It was written by Eugene Peterson. Great man. I don't agree with his theology, but I do agree with his study. He was so intent on the... Okay, he was pastor. All right, he taught his adult Sunday school class. He was going through the Old Testament, and he was losing them. Number one, they they weren't coming as faithfully as they should. And the ones who were sitting there were glazing over. You know, lights are on, nobody was home. And so he realized that he was reading to them and they didn't understand it. So he, he got this idea. He said he was taking a chapter a week. He said it took years for him to do it. Okay, so instead of trying to explain the chapter the way that he thought it meant, he just wrote it out in his own words. He never intended for it to become a Bible. He was doing it to help his Sunday school class understand what the chapters said. And so it evolved It became the message Bible. It's not a Bible. It's a commentary. Okay? So you have to know that. These are things that you have to know. Um, After determining, though, how a biblical version is categorized, then what you have to do is sift through all of the different translations and say, okay, now which one? What do I do here? This This is where it gets a little tricky here. Uh, and so I am going to actually read what my remarks concerning this because I am going to leave out about a 30-minute discussion. 
and I want to make sure that I say most everything that needs to be said, that needs to go out uh, online to anybody that's hearing it and probably doesn't understand this as well. In the middle of page 45, all Bible versions are not created equal. Okay. First of all, let me say this. There are only two times in the Word of God that I have found where Satan appeared to somebody, humanity. The first time is in the Garden of Eden. Whenever, of course, you know the story, he comes to Eve. He said, here, here's some fruit. Let's eat this fruit. And she says, oh, no, we can't do that. Why? God said we couldn't do it because if we did it, we'll die. And his next remark was, hath God said? Oh, no. He didn't mean that. Now, this is a paraphrase, okay? (laughs) This is a paraphrase. He didn't mean that. That's not what he meant. He just knew that if you ate that, you were going to be as smart as him. And he didn't want you to be as smart as him. So not only did he ask the first question and introduced the spirit of questioning into the world right then and there, he took the word of God to Eve through Adam and twisted it. He didn't say God didn't say anything. He just twisted its meaning. That's all he did. And you know the rest of the story and what happened. Okay. The next time was when Jesus had begun his ministry or was about to begin his ministry. He'd gotten baptized, came up out of the Jordan River, and I can picture it because, and and those of you who have been to Israel, I know you could probably picture it as well, you know, came up out of the Jordan. I can picture his robes wet and dripping and him walking up the side of that bank of that Jordan River and walking out into that wilderness that's right there close to begin his 40 days of fasting before he began his public ministry. So he fasts 40 days, 40 nights in that wilderness. And those of you who have seen that wilderness, I cannot imagine being out there without food or drink. Now imagine being out there without food or drink for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end, you would not feel well. Not at all. He was weak. He was hungry. I wonder if he could, if he could even stand. I wonder if he could even speak loudly. How weak was he? He was a man. The man part of him was fasting. He was also God, but the man part of him was very weak. So the devil comes to him. And you know the story here. He gave him three temptations, okay? And he says, the first one, he says um, to him, and I've, I've, I've gotten off my notes here and never should do that. Here, he said, take these stones. Uh, Turn them into bread. You've got that power. Go ahead and do it. Turn them into bread. We always say that Jesus counteracted it with the word. But we have to remember there what word he counteracted it with. He said, he quoted Deuteronomy, and he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So let's go back to our types of translations. Not every thought that proceeds out of the mind of God, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Okay? All right? So the devil said, all right, well, let's try it again. So he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, which is an interesting thing to me. He took him to the top of the church. So he didn't stay away from church. He didn't try to keep him away from 
church, so to speak. He took him to the top of the temple. And then he said, cast yourself down. And then the devil quoted the word back to Jesus. And the devil said, for it is written. He's given his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They're going to catch you. They don't want you to dash your foot against the stone. He quoted Psalm 91 to Jesus. And that's where we need to take a really, really good look. Because Jesus answered him and said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So what he said was, yes, you quoted the word to me, but you took it out of context. What, what gave him the power to give that answer? His deity, his divinity. That's why you've got to know the word. Because when the devil comes at you, he may quote scripture to you. And you have to be able to understand and say, oh, no, you're taking it out of context here. This is what I'm going to quote back to you. He quoted Jesus's own word. Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, God in flesh that had John 14, 114, that took on flesh. He actually had the audacity to take his words and throw them back in his face. That alone right there makes me hate him. I hate people to do stuff like that. Third thing, he took him to a high mountain. All these things will I give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And again, he knew the scripture to come back at him with, thou shalt worship the Lord, the God, and only him. Shalt thou serve. Okay. If the devil only had two chances whenever he was to appear to humanity from Genesis to Revelation... And I, you can believe he would appear a whole lot more had God given him that leeway. Because if, if the devil had his way, we'd all be dead. I mean, the devil does as much as he's allowed to do. So if he only had two chances to, when he appeared to humanity, to attack them, to come against them. And both times, what did he attack? The word. He attacked the validity of the word. He attacked the actual words themselves. He attacked the concept of the word both times. What makes you think his tactics have changed today? They've not changed. And so what do we do? We take the fight to the wrong arena. We take the fight to the wrong battlefield. We take the fight, fight to the wrong place. The fight is not about our marriage. The fight is not about our finances. The fight is not even about our freedom, our lack of freedom. The fight is not about politics. The fight is not about money or not enough money or food or not enough. No, that's not where the fight is. The fight is, is do you believe this book right here? And do you know it? And do you eat it? And have you ingested it? And have you metabolized it? And do you allow the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God that's within you to turn and to make these words alive in your spirit so that you know that you know that you know without a shadow of a doubt that it's real, that he's real, that you're his child, that you have his spirit within you, and that you know what you believe. His tactics have not changed. The battleground is still the same. We cannot afford to treat these words lightly. Not even a little bit. I feel so strongly about that. So, 
the translation discussion is directly connected to what I just told you. In my opinion, it's a crucial discussion to this principle of every word that proceedeth. It's one which is detailed and exhaustive, and I, and I cannot adequately cover it tonight in this lesson, so I'm just going to give you some bullet points, and we'll try to get through these in a timely manner. There are no known original manuscripts of Scripture. In the past few years, certain fragments have been found which are being studied and could very possibly be originals of first-generation copies, but they are only fragments, parts of words of parts of scriptures. There are no known originals of scripture. For centuries, scribes copied scriptures by hand. Most have done this with utmost care and respect and reverence for what they were copying, so much so that if they were to mess up, instead of scratching through or doing whatever they would start, they would throw the whole thing away and start fresh and anew because the words of God demanded that they be accurate and that they be reverent. So that is why we can compare passages from the KJVs, which were found in the Dead Sea Scrolls discovered in 1948, which are believed to be the second oldest known surviving manuscripts and have been hugely important in many areas, areas of scholarly research of the ancient texts. And we can find those, those fra- uh, passages almost identical to the passage in your Bible today. That's why, because of the care that the scribes took in copying these, these uh, passages and books and sacred writings over and over. But since we do not have originals of the scriptures... We have to rely on the oldest and most accurate of the known manuscripts available. This discussion is in more detail in this self-study edition of Eat This Book, and I'm aware that I'm probably going to only create more questions tonight than I'll be giving answers, and I apologize for that. But I invite you to study what I have written and to do your own research into this, and please talk to me anytime. I am very passionate about this, and I love to talk about it to anybody that has information and you have questions. So here it is in a nutshell, as simple as I can say it. There are two major manuscripts which have emerged through the centuries from which our Bible is translated. Two. The first is called the Textus Receptus, which is the text from which the KJV and the NKJV is translated. The second one is the Westcott-Hort Greek New Testament, which was compiled in 1881 and is the text from which all other versions are translated. The manuscripts used to compile this text are thought by experts to be corrupt and with thousands, literally thousands, of errors. I was speaking with um, a person that I am studying with in Israel, I was speaking to him just yesterday, and he is getting his PhD in biblical Hebrew and biblical Greek all at the same time. And he has professors from Harvard and from Oxford and from Yale and from all over the place, and it just blows my mind. I even get to talk to him. But I asked him, I said, Is this right? I need to make sure, I need to double check my facts. He said, There are over 5,000 errors in the book of Matthew alone. 
Yet for some reason, this is the text used for all of the modern versions you see on the shelves of your Bible bookstores. I'm going to give, take just a second here and give you some examples of how that text dif- differs from the Textus Receptus and the KJV. So, Lori, if you'll just shoot some of those slides up, we're going to look at some of this right here. Let's take Daniel 3.25. KJV says the Son of God. NKJV says the Son of God. NASB says the Son of God's. NIV says the son of God's, and ERV says the son of God's. Matthew 20 and 20, worshiping him, NKJV says kneeling down, NASB kneeling down, NIV kneeling down, ERV worshiping him. You say, well, that doesn't, it, it, does that make any difference? Does that matter? Yeah, I think it does. I really do think it does. John 4:42. this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. NKJV, this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. NASB, this one indeed is the Savior. This one is indeed the Savior. NASB, this one indeed is the Savior. NIV, this man really is the Savior of the world. ERV, this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's go to the next one. John six sixty nine. thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One of God. Thou art the Holy One of God. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. John 9, 35, Son of God, Son of God, Son of man, Son of man, Son of God. John 14, 28, My Father, my Father, the Father, the Father, the Father. Acts 3, 13, 26, His Son Jesus, His Servant Jesus, His Servant Jesus, His Servant Jesus, His Servant Jesus. Are you getting the idea? In the book, there is a whole several pages of comparisons. Uh, let's go to one where it shows nothing, where it's, where it's left out. Because I know, I, I don't remember the reference right now, and I don't even think you would have it on your screen. I do know that there, the reference, though, where it says Jesus was uh, teaching his disciples, he said, this kind cometh not out except by prayer and fasting. That's not even in those versions. It's out. It's gone. It's not there. There's no revelation to be had because it's not even there. Okay. Yeah. Here's something right here. Okay. Acts 7:59. KJV says calling upon God. In KJV calling on God. Calling on the Lord. In IV it just totally omits it. And the ERV calling upon the Lord. All right. Acts 8.37, let's look at that right there. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. NASV, NIV, and ERV totally omit that. Totally omits that. Am I saying that you should never read another version? No, that's not what I'm saying. But this is what I am saying. And I would like to to stop right here and also make a disclaimer. Pastor Harpel and I have talked about this. We are on the same page with this, okay? We are not, we have discussed this. And we are on the same page with this. But here is what we are saying. If you do read another version, you only do it with the KJV open to the same passage, And go back and forth and compare what you're reading to make sure that the meaning is staying the same. I only read another version, and there are times that I do it, 
And I, I want to say for clarity, but it's not even for clarity. It's more of just to see if there is how much of a difference in the wording there is. But I only do it on my iPad, and I only do it in the Blue Letter Bible app, which has a parallel Bible feature. And I will put KJV on the left and whatever I'm reading on the right so that I can read it at the same time. And you will find that if you go from one verse and there's a big long space here and you look over to the left at the KJV, you see, oh my goodness, they left out those verses. They're not even here. How can God reveal something to you if you're, if you're not even reading it? How can he peel back the layers of the onion that we talked about last week? So, the version of the Bible that you read really does matter. If God is wanting to reveal something to you through his word and the scripture's not there, how will he reveal it? If God is wanting to reveal something to you through his word, but the errors have so corrupted the meaning until it has become something else entirely, you're going to be struggling with something that's totally false. And I want to read Psalm 12, 6, and 7. And you need to write this down. And you need to put it into your spirit. And when I told you in lesson one, the first thing you had to do was approach the word with faith. This is part of what I'm talking about. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Verse 7, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I am just simple enough to believe that if he spoke them into the ears of 44 writers and they agreed across 66 books, and I am just simple enough to believe that if they are as alive as he says they are and that I've experienced them to be, he has the ability to keep them. And God is not confused about what's right and what's wrong and what should be there and what shouldn't be there and what this means and what that means. Does that make sense? I know that that is such a surface discussion of such an in-depth issue. But does that make sense? Okay. All right. So we believe, and now I'm going to, I'm going (laughs) to, wow, I'm getting out there. The King James Version is a translation. Okay. And, and, and if Brother Harpole feels differently about what I'm about to say, I definitely want him to clear this up. I don't think that I ask him this question. I don't believe that the King James Version is inspired like the words of the Bible are inspired. The original language was God-breathed. Inspired meaning God-breathed. Okay? There are some who believe that the King James Version was also God-breathed. Okay, I'm not one of those. The King James Version is a translation of some original living words. Okay. But with that being said, we are all English speaking people. We are English is our first language. I believe of everybody up here. All right. I cannot teach the same lesson in foreign countries that don't have a KJV or all these other Bibles. In fact, whenever I go to Denmark and teach, they have the Danish Bible. Okay. None of this makes sense to them. This is for English. This is a lesson for English speakers. 
So as English speakers, we believe that the Textus Receptus is the one that is the most accurate. And that if there are any questions, and Textus Receptus, remember, is what the original manuscript is from which KJV was translated. And if there are any issues, if there are any questions, if there are any discrepancies between that and other versions, we believe the King James Version to be the foundation of all those disputes. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Okay, very good. Um, and I have not been able to get through everything tonight. I was going to, to actually illustrate for you a free Bible program called Blue Letter Bible, in which you can go, um, you can, well, if you'll put it up there, I'll just do it really, 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 really quick. In my opinion, all you need to be a student of the word and to eat the word is, you need a Bible right here. You need a Strong's Concordance and Lexicon, which is right here. The lexicon's in the back. And in my opinion, you need a book of Bible maps. And the reason why I like this one is because it has an overlay And you can take that overlay off and you can see what the Bible uh, geography was that is referred to in the Word of God. And then you can put that overlay back on and it will show you what those lands are today. It will show you the today's map and what those lands are. And I really like that because to me, you need to know geography and you know, need to know the positioning of things when you read the Word. Positioning of places. This is the Rose Publishing Bible maps, then and now. I highly recommend that. And another reason I like it is because when you order it, they'll give you a little pocket-sized copy like this, and I keep it in my Bible, and so if I'm somewhere else and somebody's speaking, then I can actually just look. There's the original map, and then this tells me what the geography is today. And it's really, really handy, and I love it. That's a whole lot to carry around. I needed help bringing it in tonight. It's heavy. It's a lot. So if you go to blueletterbible.org, it's free. It's a program on your computer. And I am just going to go very, very quickly to 2 Timothy 2.15. Anybody can do this. So here's the scripture right here. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can look up here and you can click on this little box that says Strong's. And when you do that, it's going to put the Strong's number right beside each of the words. Okay, let's go to Workman. This is one I was telling you about. You click on that number right there. And it is... Whatever it is, ergatas, I do not know Greek. I I am working more in Hebrew than Greek. 
You go down here and you think, oh, that's it right there. But it isn't. Look, that's the outline of biblical usage. That's not what you're wanting. You are wanting the definition, which is right here. And usually it will tell you the um, scriptures that that definition is defined in. For example, right here, 2 Timothy 2.15. So, craftsmen, those who teaches labors to propagate and promote Christianity among men, workmen, laborer, usually one who works for hire, especially an agricultural laborer, those whose labor artificers employ. Okay, and this is telling you that is the definition that you need to know. So this is how you define words in the Bible that you don't know what they mean. You go to Strong's, you click on the number, and it takes you to that. When you click on Tools beside this passage, you're going to see Interlinear. This is going to show you what each word means in a verse. Then you're going to see Bibles. You can click on this, and it will give you all of the versions that they have listed there. And you can see the different meanings in which I never click on Bibles because I have learned enough and have become convinced that the KJV is the one I want. Here, you can click on cross-references. It will give you all scriptures that you can cross-reference with Timothy 2.15, and they're all listed right here. If you're going to cross-reference study, those are the four verses. If you're going to cross-reference the word approved, those are the verses Then you have commentaries. I do not like commentaries. I do not like commentaries at all. If you will go back to the first page of your your lesson tonight, Henry Ward Beecher said, coming to the Bible through commentaries is much like looking at a landscape through garret windows over which generations of unmolested spiders have spun their webs. I don't want to study the Bible through a spider web. The Bible itself is the best commentary. If you have questions, the Bible is going to answer it for you. It's the best commentary. And here are dictionaries that will define different uh, principles, points, concepts for you. And you can click on those. And then you have a miscellaneous, which you will see here. It says related maps and images. You can click on those. You can use them for handouts. You can use them for your own personal study. This is a free program on your computer. It also has an app for your phone and an app for your iPad. And it's free. And they update it all the time. I've been using it for years. I also use Olive Tree, but you have to pay for a lot of the material on Olive Tree. And uh, I do have a lot in there, but I just find the way I study, the way I do things, Blue Letter Bible is my, is my study tool of choice. So with all that being said, You've been given tools, and you have been given uh, some warnings, and you have been given some instruction. And now I want you to go back and start on your, and this is not for next week, so I want you to start this in your own time, trying to find some answers to those questions that you wrote down in, for Jude, okay? Start trying to find a few of those answers. But your homework for next week, I want you to do a good study of the Council of Nicaea. 
I've given you some notes that you can follow along on on 55, page 55. But on page 54, I'm giving you other prompts of questions that I want you to ask. And at the top of that page, just write this. Just write, do this homework in light of Jude. Do this homework in light of Jude. And I want you to make a a thorough study of the Council of Nicaea. And somebody next week, be prepared to give me like a two-minute summary of what you find that you didn't already know. All right? Very good. I seem to go four minutes over every time. I'm not sure what to do about that four minutes. I'm so sorry. Thank you, Lord, for your presence among us tonight. God, I ask that you take what we've learned. God, you quicken it to our minds at the times that we need it, at the times we need answers. Help us to be hungry. God, create more of a hunger in us for your word than ever before. Because, God, whenever there's a hunger, you're going to fill it. And you're going to reveal and you're going to pull back the layers that we need to know. I thank you for these people. Thank you for their sacrifice. Thank you for their time. And, God, give them revelation as they study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us.